Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to be talking about the past week and the awesomeness that this week was. And, of course... Kamala Harris. <laughs> you <laughs> get, yeah. And <laughs> the pause. Make sure we say it right. Oh. Kamala. It's like Kamala. <laughs> That's all you have to think about now. Hello and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. Episode 27, Blocked and Kamala Harris. And yes, we may or may not have watched Maya Rudolph's portrayal of <laughs> Kamala. Kamala. It's like Kamala. Prior to recording this episode. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's pure art. Yeah, but like not just that one, like all oh, of them. I mean, Maya Rudolph <laughs> gives life to Kamala Harris, but oh Kamala gosh. Harris is, is life. life. Oh, yeah. so good. Oh my gosh. So before we get to her, I want to talk about this past week in public schools. Oh, yeah. I mean, how are you dealing? How do you, do you watch the inauguration? Is that so, a thing? So, that is the question. Oh, really? So, past inaugurations, pa- like any political major event, the question that every social studies teacher has to ask themselves is, do I turn on the television? Yeah. Right? Or in my question. case, do I stream, you know, C-SPAN or CBS or whatever? What's like, your, like, go-to station if you ha- if you get a chance to So that? it was interesting. My colleague and I were, were streaming different things in our oh, rooms. Okay. He was streaming C-SPAN because he didn't want the commentary. He wanted the, like, non-biased, like, yeah. here's just what's happening, you know? Clever. And I appreciated that. And I think he was right. To, when he said that, I was like, I should have pl- played C-SPAN. You know, I, sometimes, but C-SPAN doesn't give you everything. Yeah. And you miss you miss a lot because they don't have multiple cameras. Right. And sometimes they don't tell you, like, who people are. You know, Right. You're kind of out there guessing. Yeah. You're kind of making up your own mind about the day, which doesn't always help you. So I use CBS, not because I'm partial to CBS at all, but because they have free live stream of news forever. CNN and others eventually make you pay. Well, so this week I was in a Zoom call with some other social studies teachers around the state. And Franklin High School was not allowed to show the inauguration. So (laughs) called out Franklin High School. Social studies teachers in that school were given a directive from the top that you are not allowed to talk about this. From who? Miles away from their principal. And, like, they are told they're not allowed to talk about it in their classrooms. What? So just a few miles away down the road where I teach, my principal in the morning of the inauguration. Is that a thing? Are, are schools really allowed to directive? They are allowed to ban stuff. Plymouth High School here in town banned, banned the talking about the debates this past what? fall. The principal in a staff meeting said, the debates are happening tonight. You are not allowed to talk about them tomorrow in your school. I'm sorry, but that is social studies. My principal yeah, in my... Yeah, that's also like, oh my gosh, that's not... There, you have no law saying that that's what you should be doing. Well, this they, is... This is historical things are happening. They are allowed to... 
limit our free speech in schools. How? How's that? that there, I mean, there's a million case like oh really like trials and that's why teachers have tenure to protect their speech in Thankfully, schools you guys to some are extent yeah yeah but when it comes to these things the question that I always ask is if we are not teaching them how to talk about difficult subjects yeah like where are they gonna who learn? is teaching them how to talk about because you're not subjects. sitting there saying like one side or the other i imagine you're pretty unbiased when you're trying to give your deliverance of of the what's happening yeah like many history teachers i grew up with history teachers that would never tell you their political side and i think that that it maybe is a good sign of a of a history teacher but it also it kept it really fair it was very fair practice in a classroom where anyone with any opinion was allowed to give it mm-hmm I also want my kids to be educated on the whole political spectrum. And so I do think that my students are armed to figure out my political leanings. I'm sure because, they could deep because into Because I want them to know, like, you know, I want them to know data on political science. I want them to yeah. know that women more than men vote Democrat. Yeah. Right? So they could just right and off the bat. women more than men have voted in most elections. Right. It's like, that's a thing. New Englanders <laughs> tend to vote Democrat more than other people. Yep. I, Stats. like, so, so my students could just take the raw data and figure it out. And, but the last four years as social studies teachers has been very trying oh, has because, it? <laughs> of, because of the incumbent president. Because the guy coming after your jobs? I mean, didn't he, like, enact trying to make tiny patriots, like, a thing? Yes. So it's this has been a very difficult time to be a social studies teacher because you have to, like – be neutral on like right in, in in issues where it's impossible to be neutral it's like okay i apparently don't care in about human rights human rights like i'm not really sure so it's been a very oh, challenging are you muslim in my classroom sorry bye are you <laughs> right. mexican in my classroom yeah bye. i hope that you're not an immigrant like yeah you know, like it's just really awful. so so it's been very trying but I think many teachers around the country have been walking that, you know, walking whatever line they know and to they balance the political situation in their lives. Exactly. You know? But more recently, I was talking to a couple different career coaches that I network with. And, and you know, we get together on Wednesdays and we call ourselves the HR disruptors. But more teachers than ever have reached out to us that they're changing careers. Yeah. It is is by far the number one people that are reaching out and saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Whether it's pandemic related or election and, and political and like how related. to do this. But yeah. like it's definitely I've never had teachers reach out and say, I don't I'm not interested in this career anymore. Right. Well, so I just, so it is floor, I mean, in my school, the directive, we were given an email from our principal, but the email said, this is a historic moment. And I'm not even just talking about Kamala Harris. We've got the oldest president in American yep. history being elected for the first, you know, that's incredible. We got, we got the first second man ever in American history. Ever. We and have, he's Jewish. <laughs> we have the first first lady to not only pledge to keep her job, her day job, yep. as a teacher. As a teacher. <laughs> mind you. But also, she has a doctorate, which is so the she's highest. She's doctor. High- she's more educated than her husband. Right. And, but she's also the highest educated first lady, lady in American history. Ever. Ever. Like, so, so the list of and things. And she's a stepmom. 
and Kamala Harris' right. stepmom. So you have all these family dynamics, too, coming into play that have never really been in office before. Forget all the stuff about her being the first woman, the first person of color, not just woman of color, person of and color multiple. in the vice president. So my principal's email to us was, if you want to show it, show it. It's up to you. Um, great. We're professional educators, fun fact. In my school, the majority of us have master's degrees or doctorate degrees. I just don't even email me. I'm going <laughs> right. to do it anyway. Right. I'm going <laughs> to. So, but he did email it and he said, if you want to show it, show it. Th- but I'd like you to frame it in the sense that it is a historic moment and we are going to watch it. And I. I appreciate the the permission to do that, but I think you're right. We should it's be my allowed cla- my discretion yeah. about framing this to fit our curriculum, right? To fit our curriculum, but this is also like this is history, and in social studies, we are going to, to talk watch about it yeah. and talk about it. And you know, like I just which you should. It's a presidential election. It's inauguration day. Yeah. We should all have, I mean, one, we should have the day off from, from school and work so that we can participate in yeah. a national event. Same with election day. Everyone should have the day off. These right. are my feelings about things. But Thank you for your feelings. I'm here for both of them. And, I mean, very nice of your principal to even make a comment, but also unnecessary. I... I feel for those schools that are not allowed to talk about it. So I was curious. What are you doing? When my colleague from Franklin told me that that had happened, I said, first of all, what? What? Yeah, like. (laughs) And then second of all, I wonder how widespread that is. So this is not a scientific poll by any means, but I polled our Instagram followers. Oh, yeah. I saw your, I saw the note. Yeah. So um, 80, 20. So 80% of our followers were, or of the people that responded from our yeah, followers, okay. um, were allowed to show it, and 20%, so a vast minority, were not allowed to show it. But here are some of the, so Franklin High School, that's that story. This is what one person said, Stephanie. She said, we almost, we also immediately got a district-wide message from the superintendent, some from the superintendent, Whoa. okay, telling us not to wear anything political to work, express any political views, opinions, or discussions politics with our students and she goes i'm a civics teacher so guiding students political discussions is kind of my thing <laughs> and i was just like i, I mean know. what but like, like for some, it drives me nuts because it's like i went to six years of college education if you think i'm not qualified to have a discussion thoughtfully with my students around politics then what the fuck am I doing in my job right like fire me like if you yeah, really like, think I, I'm, I'm obviously not doing my job right like if you don't think I can do this why am I here if you if you trust me to teach the emancipation proclamation but not the 2021 inauguration you know like, it's it's interesting in the fact that like in the so in a private sector in corporations it, there's not a directive from the top by any means from people saying like don't talk about politics but there definitely is a message that's being sent from a lot of public organizations that are basically like politics do not have a space in our workplace. And if you decide to bring politics into the workspace, there are repercussions. Yeah. And so like that's a very interesting thing that we've been dealing with, not in my own organization, but in many others that I've heard from. And it's been really interesting how people are dealing with it because you do. You'll have you know, manufacturing companies that are pro whatever, and then you'll have 
you know, tech firms that are pro this. And there's two sides to every coin. There's going to be people that sit on every side of the fence. And how do you operate a business with people that disagree significantly? This is probably the largest divide, I would imagine, in politics. At least the most outspoken. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've... I, I haven't... I guess I haven't lived long enough to understand that. But, like, in my lifetime, this is the most divided I've ever seen people. Yeah. And... I can imagine that creates a lot of dynamics in the workforce. It is definitely very divided, and it's definitely the most divided it's ever been in our lifetime. But there are definitely times in American history when we have been more divided. Okay. And, um, but we are, you know, if things continue on the trend that they are going, like we are. Yeah, it's scary. Um, So, but a lot of people that I reached out to who said that they were not allowed to show it. When I pressed a little bit, so I had qualitative conversations with people mm-hmm. in addition to the poll, and um, multiple people mentioned fear of repercussions, which is okay. what you're talking yeah. about. And they were basically like, I have had many situations in my district where I did Approached a subject that wasn't Yeah, and popular. the administration did not have my back, and I just have given up bringing up mm. controversial things. And then on the other side of it was... Multiple people said, I just live in a really conservative area, and I thought that I would get flack if I showed it. And I live in a really conservative area. I teach in a really conservative school. And you know what? I showed when Trump was inaugurated, and I showed, you know, like it doesn't, it shouldn't matter who's being inaugurated. This is a major national moment. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to derail your day. And like many of my classes weren't even happening at the time. history. Yeah, it's like this is happening right now, and especially, and more than Trump, especially this one. I mean, Trump's Melania Trump being the first um, immigrant, immigrant woman, first lady, yeah, was like a big a, deal. That's a huge deal. Um, but um, but this one is is more because of all the other historic things mm-hmm. that I mentioned. So it it broke my heart that that was a reality in schools where kids were going through their day like nothing major was going on meanwhile people across the country are bawling their eyes out while this me, girl's reading me, me. poetry <laughs> like you know me and Amanda Gorman thank you so much but this is not just i mean this helps to illustrate the problem which is that social studies is under attack everywhere and it is criticized because of the connection to politics but I don't know how much longer you can be an educator and not talk about politics I just don't get it I don't know how same with economics I have a real hard time that we don't talk about more economics in school yeah kids graduate high school never knowing how to open a bank account that's a real problem right the fact that like the first time I see a mortgage statement in my lifetime is when I'm actually filling one out yeah we should know about these things that's a huge piece of your lifetime I know and I I don't mean like every every subject feels like they don't get due diligence but there are study after study after study that shows that our subject gets the least diligence so not only is is that a problem There's also studies coming out that show that students learn literacy better in social studies classes because there's a content connection to what they're reading. It's storytelling. It's storytelling. It's imagery. It's easy to grasp a hold of. And it's the same thing with English. It's like, okay, well, there's a story here. I can grasp onto it. There's a time period. Great. 
why not correlate your English and your history classes so that it's consistent through and through? Right. There's a million things that could be done, but what's happening is that, and I just found out that the elementary school where, where I teach is not teaching social studies right. or science in remote learning right now. And apparently that's okay, that we're just going to cut two of the four core subjects from the curriculum because we're remote. I don't. If I, was, if I was a parent in that community, I have a real problem. We're homeschooling now. Like that's what I'd be saying. Uh, if not, I wouldn't be paying my taxes to the local community schools. Right. I mean, I, I'm paying for an education that I'm. I think that my child is receiving in the U.S. Right. I, I, we live here in the United States of America. But not in, just we, the parents. Like, we, the citizens. Yeah. Like, I live in this town, and I want to make sure that every kid in this town is getting an adequate education so that we don't have town-wide issues. Hysteria when they don't understand science. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't figure out how to wear a mask. Because it got cut because, because of the pandemic. I so mean, yeah, It's not just it's not a social okay. studies issue. It's also a women's rights issue because when you don't teach current events in school and women have, because of all the other reasons we've outlined on this podcast, women have been cut out of history for all of those reasons. Mm -hmm. The current events are where women are leading and dominating and being badass. Think about the last few elections. We had Sarah Palin, oh, yeah. VP to yep. uh, candidate, um, nominee to John McCain running against yep. Barack Obama. Then you've got Hillary Clinton, right, running for president for the first time. Now you've got Kamala Harris in a Democratic field of yep. many badass women, Elizabeth Warren, right? Oh like, my gosh, yeah, so many. Like the Amy Klobuchar, like, like so many. Uh, who, by the way, did an incredible job awesome at the inauguration. Job, yeah. And these are names that American children should be learning because women aren't represented in the history class, so we need to show the current events. And Well, and it breaks down to representation matters. It's the same thing for any place in life. If you don't see it, you don't know it. And if you don't talk about it, you don't learn it. And it's it's prevalent in not only history classes, but so many others. And this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to combat everything else. Right. <laughs> this particular inauguration was so beautiful in the context of the, the attack at the Capitol. I mean. And all the work that they did to make this a peaceful transfer of power. Seeing George W. Bush there, seeing all the former Mike Pence yeah. there, seeing these all of the Supreme Court nominees that Trump put in, yep. all of all them attended. were there. And, and that is so important for Americans to see for our students to understand that it's going to be okay, that our democracy is going to go on. It literally was the deep breath that I think we all needed watching that ceremony, watching those speeches, watching the transfer. Watching a conservative Supreme Court justice. Oh, my gosh. Chief Justice yep. swear in Biden, and he thinks it's okay. Like, he's not, like, he's not not swearing I'm him sorry, in. I'm sorry, but, you like, know? Mike like, Pence showing up. Mike Pence. I mean, let's just talk about him for We don't agree with most of his politics. No. Most of them are against female, female rights. So not for Mike Pence, but 
You do your job. You're hired by the people you serve. And the people that chose to put you in office are still believing in you and you showed up. It was funny, my students were asking me, when was the last time a president hasn't attended it's happened. the inauguration? And literally, Andrew Johnson. <laughs> oh my God. Like, that's how far back this goes. Like, I mean, is there so precedent? So wait, what year is Andrew Johnson? So he is Lincoln's VP. Yeah. So he, and he was the first president to be impeached in American history. Yeah. And he was a little bitter. Um, he was <laughs> rightfully so. They picked him to be Lincoln's running mate because he was a little bit more conservative um, and less radical than Lincoln was. And yeah. so um, he, they basically set him up for failure. Yeah, the radical Republicans from New England basically like ripped him a new one when he became president. Tried to impeach him. They impeached him in the House, not the Senate. You know yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and so he didn't attend. Um, but, but, but I think that there has been in the last four years, this feeling of instability in our democracy Absolutely. and polls are showing that people are not convinced that democracy is always is the, the right. solution. Yeah. And uh, in, in a uh, rather, that's not a majority opinion, but that is a growing opinion, um, growing minority opinion. And I think that it was really important to watch Wednesday's events. And I would agree. And you're just you're missing out on a major national event that millions of people and you're denying worked really hard to make happen and you're denying women's history in the classroom absolutely right Kamala that's like Kamala yeah <laughs> so let's take a short break and we'll be right back okay for lesson plan ideas and how to teach women's history go to our website www.remedialhistory.com You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think what we're doing is needed, please consider joining our Patreon community. Through Patreon, you can sponsor a podcast with a small donation. Patrons get access to behind-the-scenes information, gear, and bonus episodes. Patreon allows you, the listener, to ensure that the shows you love continue. This episode is sponsored by our patrons, Kent and Jamie Heckel from Ohio, Leah Tanger from Connecticut, Sarah Reardon from New Hampshire, Barbara Tischler from New York, Mark Breyer from wherever his van has wandered, Jeffrey Ecker and Brooke Neva Sullivan from right here next to me. Thank you so much for your contributions to this podcast. You make it possible. So let's talk Kamala. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So Who is Kamala Harris? Why do we like her? <laughs> is she amazing? How do we fit her in the classroom? So she is amazing and she is historic, but she is controversial. And there's a yeah. lot of things um, that are worth looking into about her because um, as, as amazing as this historic first is, she's not... She's not the Democrat that everyone thinks she is. Yeah. So um, let's go Let's go way back. So she is the first person of color that was elected to the district attorney's office in San Francisco. And, um, and she's born in California, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She, her parents are both immigrants. Um, one was from Jamaica. One was from India. 
And um, they met during the Civil Rights Movement. And what's really cool about, I mean, they did get divorced, um, but what's really interesting about their story is just the context of her life. That, like, she is going to protests with her parents in Berkeley, California. Oh, my gosh. Where it's happening of protests. Yeah. So just her life story is so cool in that in that sense. And and to, it also helps connect. I mean, we just had Martin Luther King Day. It helps connect these ideas that like yeah. that is the context he um, you know, is the time that she is growing up in. This is not a distant past. I think many of us can envision what Berkeley, California was like in sixties and seventies of just the sit-ins and the people and the radicals. And it basically was the epicenter of some really well, big college movements. campuses around the oh, country. I mean, are, are the epicenter because you have these ideals these, clashing. You have these kids who are thinking intellectually, thinking critically. Well, they're also, also being asked to fight in a war that they don't know about. Yeah. That, that the government cannot explain to them. Yep. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible, um, this time that she is growing up in and, um, she experienced racism firsthand. She, there was a, there was a little white girl who told her that she wasn't allowed to play with her because she was black. And so... Can you imagine can, what that feels like? I can't even imagine. Like, aren't we friends? You, oh, yeah, we can be friends, but you're black. Like, yeah. it's. I mean, I was, like, treated meanly in elementary you'll school. You'll never but know what it's it, there's like. But nothing, there's nothing that can compare to it being an immutable characteristic, you know. I, like I can't change the color of my skin. Nope. It's not part of my character. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. So, um... So she becomes the first person of color elected to the district attorney's office in San Francisco. Um, And um, in California, at the time, there was the controversial three strikes law. Are you familiar with that law? So I watched the 13th Amendment. Yeah. um, And talks a lot about this. I didn't realize how discriminatory it was until I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, and that documentary is... Um, very like worth watching because it, it definitely exposes you to a lot of things. There are some like good criticisms of it that are also worth exploring. Yeah. Um, but the street three strikes rule basically in California mandated that if somebody commits three felonies, the third conviction is a life sentence in prison, which is too aggressive. Was for very a lot of people very aggressive and and the. And, and, and you have to keep so okay so I think we all could agree like okay somebody who's committing felonies that's not great but you have to remember what kinds of so, laws yeah, are and defined as felonies and what type and so a lot of drug cases are and who's in power mostly white people yep. who is affected by drugs in their community mostly black people or yeah. people of color it's a real problem right and it's so, not okay and so this is a controversial a, not a good time yeah, so this is a really controversial law, which she was not responsible for the law. Um, so she, as assistant district attorney, encouraged people, um, sorry, encouraged the police um, to not arrest people unless it was violent um, so that... so that They wouldn't get a felony charge. They wouldn't get these felony charges. Um, 
to try basically to try to mediate this controversial law. Um, because it was such a blatant civil rights issue. Um, she uh, negotiated that when she became district attorney, she negotiated that those people would receive um, instead a high school diploma and a job instead of incarceration. So she tried to make this more of a, a growth thing. So I think that that's a really great piece of how she tried to, like, change wiggle like operate within the bounds of her job and the law but try to do the right thing for these people um unfortunately for her when she was district attorney um a police officer was shot um it he like went into a building and was shot dead by you know in a in a routine check and um the funeral was mass. It became this, like, hot-button event. Um, people, you know, tons of people are attending this funeral because here's a cop being shot by one of these felons that yeah. should have been, you know, should have been... Maybe incarcerated. Incarcerated. And um, she was called out directly by Senator Diane Feinstein of California, who basically was like the district attorney needs to step up her game. And what people wanted was they wanted that guy to get the death penalty. And Kamala Harris was anti-death penalty. And to her credit, and I don't know, you know, to her credit, she held her ground among incredible public pressure to give this guy the death penalty. Um, And she did not. Um, But many people, including Dianne Feinstein, were like, "You, you should do that. And she called her out, Diane Feinstein called her out publicly at this uh, guy's funeral. Which I imagine is a lot of people do when police officers are murdered or things happen to them in that way. But you have to do your justice. Yeah. You have to be impartial. You have to look at the evidence. You have to determine what is best. And also systems, you know. Yeah, like, and you have to what remember is, systems. Like, why is this guy shooting a cop? What's his story? You know, What's his story? And also, why is that cop in that circumstance in the first place? What's a routine checkup yeah, on a building the- that it's just, it's all the things. It's like, you have to look at every angle and it's awful that a life was lost. Let's not like, you know, put that down, but it's also, you have a lot of angles to look at. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. You're justice. You're, you know, you're not jury. Yeah. So... She also passed a law that criminalized, this was a really big one and had a little different than the um, three strikes rule. Um, There was a truancy issue. And this is an issue that I see, I mean, oftentimes if you did a correlation in student grades and attendance, they're the same. You know, it's like one, it's a very close correlation. It's interesting that you mentioned that because our soccer coach in college was like, Show up to every class, you'll more than likely get a B. <laughs> I was like, yeah, done. And sit I in the front row. Yeah, sit in the front row, introduce tell yourself. The, tell the professor your name. Tell yep. the professor your name, and you'll get a B. Yep. And I was like, that's it? Yep. He was like, it's all it that's takes. it. Just show up, Show kids. up. <laughs> show up, show your face, participate in class, you'll yep. get a B. And I was like, done, done and done. That sounds so, good. <laughs> to try to address this issue... She tried to tackle it through the law because you, you're not, I mean, you're not allowed to miss school. 
like your the school yeah. outlines some sort of attendance policy and, and you if have you to adhere to that you have to adhere to it it's the law of the land right it's not just like a school like it's the law and my husband in his job you know he literally has had to go into kids houses and be like you must come to school today <laughs> oh and God. like he was telling me this one story about a kid who was hiding in his closet from no! him and Jeff had to go in and pull the guy out of a closet pull the kid out of a closet and take him to school no yeah like so, truancy is a serious issue. It it impacts, um, you know, the the hardest hit families usually with like, um, you, you know, poverty is a, is a factor. Oh sure, um, sure. Uh, all those sorts of things. Um, so, <laughs> so how you know how do you deal with truancy? I mean, this is a question that educators ask themselves all the time. I imagine and. Because it's like, I have great kids in my class. If they would show up, they would pass. But, like, they don't <laughs> show up, so I don't know what to tell them, you know? You're you're missing 17 assignments because, oh, you missed 17 days of school, you know? <laughs> shocker. Shocker. So Kamala Harris passed a, a law that tried to criminalize parents for child truancy. Ooh. So if Risky. You, if you, if you, your kids don't show up to school, you are now a criminal. I mean... Okay, it's a way to go about it, I guess. So it was Wait. obviously controversial because well, parents I imagine are like, like that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Is like our town was a farming town. Yeah, kids worked on the farm in the morning before school. I milked cows. On, I know you on, told on me on that. a couple of farms before school. So for me, I'm thinking about. I used to race from the farm to get to school for the first bell at seven fifteen. Yeah, and. If I didn't make it, I wouldn't be listed as a tardy. It was like, actually, I was working from 5 a.m. till now. Right. And I just got here. Right. Um, and a lot of kids would be that way. And so right. it's like, you don't know someone's family circumstance when, and I, I mean, I worked as a choice. There's a lot of kids that didn't. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, that's a really tricky line to walk because work, you know, in high school, work is a really big thing that pulls kids away from academic Absolutely. obligations. And I come from a upper middle class background. And so for me, that that is not what these four years are for. Yeah. And your job is school. Your job is school. Your job is, you know, these things. And but also I you know, I frame it as like a civil rights issue because these are the only four years where school will be free for you. So Good point. People need to take advantage of it because teenagers don't make a lot of money when they work. No. And so when parents say that their kid has to work for stuff, that is really challenging for me to understand. It's like, okay, like I, I literally broke it down with a student um, who was like, I have to work my job. And so I asked her, I was like, okay, how much money do you make at this job? She was like, well, I work two hours a day after school and I make like, I forget what she made at the time, like eight bucks an hour, mm -hmm. maybe. And, and so I like added up. I was like, okay, so over the course of this semester, this is how much money you are going to make. Yeah. If you get an A in my class, it will qualify you for this scholarship at the school that you want to go for. Like, there, like the difference in how much money she was going to make this semester yeah. versus the college that she wanted to go to. But that's, like, like short-term versus long-term. Short-term, long-term. Long yeah, and that's really hard for kids in poverty. It it's was, really it was, hard for it, families I'm not joking. It was, like, $20,000 difference. And I, I was just but, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, get but an someone, someone makes the analogy all the time. It's like, you give someone 
in poverty 20 bucks or you give someone who had who isn't in poverty 20 bucks I guarantee you the 20 bucks are gonna be gone with someone in poverty because they don't they don't yeah. have the luxury of savings Correct. or thinking long term it's very day to day and and it is really hard for parents to make the minimum the which minimum. is and not and I'm not talking about money I'm talking about giving kids the minimum right Safety, security, yeah, food. Yep. We have a real hard time in our local communities doing that. Getting those basics. Yeah. And kids oftentimes mediate the gap with Absolutely. their pay. Absolutely. Which with their is pay. what their parents did when they were teenagers. And it's a generational thing. Right. Right. And, and so the challenge, though, as a parent is understanding the short-term getting through and your child still has after they leave here and leave your house Mm -hmm. they still have 80 years to live oh sure so how that's just not the view they have that's not the lens they look through yeah which is crazy because like the the, these small things are the financial setup to the rest of their life absolutely you're getting the foundation of how they're going to be successful forever yeah so Bringing it back to Kamala Harris, she, you know, criminalizing parents for this doesn't make sense because obviously these parents are already dealing with a lot of things. And Mm. this is something that she has, that stance is something that she has since apologized for, um, which is interesting. I I do appreciate when politicians can recognize failures and move forward. I know. Um, I think Biden came up with a couple that he was like, that was wrong she at the called, time. So, so let's flash forward to now. So she became so she became senator uh, for California, yep. um, and had a very fiery few years as senator. So she's senator of California. She gives up that position to well, she she holds that position while she's campaigning for president. So she right. actually ran against Biden, and she calls Biden out in the debates yeah. on his um, opposition to busing laws in the past. So some some they were going through his record, and what's really hard when you've been a politician for a long time for eighty years, <laughs> <laughs> forty half that, but yeah, it's still a long time. So you have a very long record, and so there's this really powerful um, debate early on where she basically calls him out and she tells the story of herself being on a bus. Yes. And I, it was so incredible. So um, she runs against him. Her campaign kind of falls flat. Polit- uh, you know, political scientists sort of look at the, you know, in the in the Democratic Party, you've got this spectrum of, um, you know, moderate to very yeah. liberal progressives. And I she, mean, Biden was pretty flat at the beginning. Yeah. He basically, New Hampshire, Iowa, like he was not doing He great. should have dropped out. Yeah. He stuck in it. Yeah. Got Atlanta. North, yeah, got North Carolina, Atlanta. Like he went in yeah. for the southern states that held him tight. Yeah. That didn't hold Kamala and, yeah. and Pete Buttigieg, who was like, yeah. who, who did Mayor great Pete in, was like in the come, early contest. Exactly. But like. Mayor Pete did really well in New Hampshire, did really well in Iowa, and then, like, came through. And it's just, like, it's surprising the change and the swift change. Yeah. When they were like, yeah, you're not our pick, Kamala and Pete. Yeah. And Amy Klobuchar at that time, too. Yeah. And, um... Yang. Well, who oh. was senator from Massachusetts. 
Oh, Warren Elizabeth Warren. Warren Elizabeth Warren. She was still in it at yeah. that point. And they were like, yeah, we're going with Biden. Right. Well, what's hard, so for, for her presidential campaign, she's, you know, you've got the Bernies and the Elizabeth Warrens on the pretty progressive side. Right. And then you've got the Amy Klobuchar's sort of moderate in the middle with, with Kamala Harris. And the, she tries to walk the line between progressive yeah. and moderate. And she ends up kind of not appealing to either one. Yeah. And and I think, you know, Biden was trying really hard to, to pull in some per, that progressive wing, but it's hard. There were a lot of really big names like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. In, Who were riding the progressive they, wing. You know, you can't compete in that lane, so you got to find your own. And Well, and then he, he made the statement, I will choose a person of color as my running mate. And to Amy Klobuchar's credit, because Amy She's Klobuchar Step down. She said. She said that um, it should be a woman of color, and and she pushed him in that direction, which and I thought was why incredible. She was at the inauguration too. Yeah, like leading it. Yeah, I mean, she's incredible. She's a pretty. When you watch Amy Klobuchar's speeches and what her rhetoric is and all the things that she does, it's like, damn, girl. Yeah. It should be you and Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been you and Kamala, like going forward. Being the women in power, but we're in America, and yep. we have to play to the game that we're playing. Yeah. And so Biden goes. Yeah, and Biden has run for president many times. He is a deserving uh, candidate, lots of experience. Um, and I also think that I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, whether it was him or Trump, the history making of having an older president. I, I hate that age is a conversation about whether somebody can do a be job. Qualified, yeah, they yeah. Be over forty five. Yeah. I, I mean I do love that Mayor Pete is on the cabinet. It's like <laughs> making me very excited about yeah, the future. The diverse for him. I mean the diverse cabinet is is history making because um it is first trans, first openly gay, first yeah. like I mean There's a lot of gender diversity in the cabinet, so it is the the most gender diverse cabinet in American history. Mm-hmm. It is not the most racially diverse no. cabinet in American history, but there are more Latino uh and indigenous people in the cabinet than ever in, in American history. I wonder if there's more openly gay. Oh, probably, but I don't know that. And it's also hard, uh, yeah, openly would be the key word there. Because That's what I'm thinking. Is like I'm imagining there's more gay cabinets, but I'm thinking of the current that are out, proud, loud. Yeah. And they're it. in the cabinet. Yeah. Which is really impressive. And the indigenous. Like, I am really excited about this cabinet. Me too. I just, well, I'm excited about the diversity, and I'm excited about that being a trend for all presidents to have in the future just representing let's hope hope. representing this diverse nation it should it should represent all americans like just have voices from every corner of the u.s we're a huge country yeah we have tons of diversity yeah yeah just like bring it all together i don't want to see just one voice i want to see everyone's voice yeah so for the lesson plan that I've put up this week, um, it is a framework for analyzing the po- inaugural poet who <gasps> read Amanda Corbin. Yes, and it's just such a special thing. And I we have a lot of English teachers that follow us as well, mm-hmm. and so I think this is an opportunity for them to bring a little something something into their class. Well, and if um, any parents listen, 
Um, she has an incredible PBS episode yeah. about racial diversity and how to talk to your kids. And Amanda Gorman leads it. And it's really, really awesome. That's awesome. She also has a TED Talk, which we have up on our website, nice. which you can check out. Um, and this is, you know, there we have not seen the end of Kamala Harris. And I'm sure we'll have a lesson plan focused on, on her time as vice president soon. Um, I'm excited to talk in the coming week about another uh, vice presidential candidate that was considered um, Mm. before the woman of color rule was thrown out there. And that is the senator from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, who will be coming on our podcast next week. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so big doings. We're excited to talk with Maggie, Senator Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire about all the historic um, women's history that we are witnessing. But Maggie Hassan herself is a history-making woman, and we're excited to talk about her. Absolutely. So. Yay. Yay. See you next week. I'm, <laughs> I'm Brooke Sullivan. I'm Kelsey Eckert. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.